Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, First Generers, it's good to be back with you. Well, tonight is a much-anticipated episode. We've been talking about it for a while. I mean, all the way back since November. Doesn't that just feel like forever ago already? We're already into March. It's hard to believe. But yeah, clear back in November, our friend of the show, a guy you've heard from a couple different times and even seen in a couple different places here at First Gen Hunter, Mr. Cole Young this is the story of his once-in-a-lifetime buck. And when you're talking about a once-in-a-lifetime buck for Cole Young, that's really making a statement. Uh, one of the best hunters I know, probably one of the best hunters in this area, and uh, there are a lot of great deer hunters around. But the guy just knows how to get it done. He's got like this sixth sense for just killing big bucks. And uh, this story is really impressive how he put this all together. Um, We're going to hear all the details on how it happened. And, uh, you know, as a first-gen hunter, you might be thinking like, hey, Kent, what are you doing, man? We're just like a bunch of new hunters here. Why are we we talking about these once-in-a-lifetime bucks? We're just worried about killing a deer. And uh, great. That's that's totally awesome. That's, that's, um, that's, uh, I, I have no criticism for you there. I was once in the, the very same spot where it was like, I just want to fill a tag. Um, but I'm telling you, if you keep doing the right things, that's going to happen. And you're probably going to want to start taking some of those steps of getting to those more mature class bucks. You know, honestly, the, the, the inches on the antlers, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke to you and say that they don't matter to me because they do. I like, I like big bucks. I have dreams of killing a giant buck someday. But at the same time, I'm just happy to get a buck every year, you know, and I'm not out there passing all kinds of deer waiting for some giant. Maybe someday I will be. And uh, so it's good to hear from guys who've been killing deer for decades and seeing how they've progressed and what the next step in their their uh, long line of deer hunting goals is for themselves and that helps us dream and hopefully see some of the things that we might be accomplishing as well but uh, with that being said we need to get to this episode i will say this this episode was uh, recorded oh probably back in uh, either late november or uh, early to mid december Um, but it's been recorded quite a quite a while ago and I've just been sitting on it, waiting for uh, the right time to drop it. And I think we're probably getting to that point in the year where, you know, we've had enough time off from deer season now that we're already starting to think about where we're going to be putting our stands for next year, trying to find the sheds off of uh, off of the bucks in our area just to kind of start identifying who's who out there in the woods. Uh, but we're, we're starting to think about deer season again. And so this episode is here to help get your wheels spinning and get you dreaming about the next big buck opportunity. So without any further ado, we're going to get on to episode 44 of the First Gen Hunter podcast, an interview with Mr. Cole Young.
Well, folks, it's been an interesting 2020. Oh, is that like the most obvious statement ever said? Possibly. But I'm talking about deer season here. It's been real interesting. And what's been most interesting about it is to look back at just a few months ago when we were leading into this deer season. You know, one of the one of the best parts of starting First Gen Hunter is I've like brought on, I guess you could say, a tribe of new people. Caitlin, my wife, calls it my man tribe. But uh, <laughs> a tribe of, of uh, new people into uh, uh, really my my circle of friends and, and you know, it goes beyond just hunting. But we clear back at the beginning of the year, we did our first-gen hunter hype video for uh, the deer season. And just kind of doing a rundown of everybody in that video, it's kind of, you know, it's been interesting to look back at how things went. So let's just take a quick look here. So in that video, we had, uh, of course, Brandon. Brandon so far in 2020 hasn't really had the season that he maybe thought he would or hoped he would, but he's got a couple of does on the ground. So that's been good. Always good to have that uh, venison for the freezer. There's me who, of course, heard the heartbreaking tale of uh, my non-vital hit on what would have been my first ever bow kill on a nice buck back in October. Then there's Jeremiah Haas, who probably has the most tragic story of everybody. He had this giant he was chasing. He was showing some uh, trail cam pictures to Brandon and me after recorded episode 14. And uh, you're not going to believe this, but the property that he had permission to hunt on sold and closed the day before hunting season. Mm. So his plans got totally changed at the last second. Then you got uh, my brother Jake, who knocked down a 145-inch buck for his first ever buck and first ever bow kill. So he had a you know an incredible 2020 that he probably didn't really expect. Then we got Noel Gandy of Buck Ventures Woodsman, who just took down a nice buck a few weeks ago in south southwest Iowa. Then you have uh, our buddies Ben Anderson and Eric Acre of fly true productions who were also in the video they both killed a nice buck i believe in the same night at totally mm-hmm. different places yeah. but both killed some some really nice bucks up in minnesota and that then brings us to garrett fike who uh got out with his uh traditional bow this year and i believe it was his first ever uh buck that he killed with his uh trad equipment and uh, as a beautiful mm-hmm. buck here mm-hmm. in illinois and uh well i shouldn't say here because technically i'm on the iowa side of the river but i do hunt in illinois too uh so he shot a nice buck but then that brings us to our last guy that was in the video mr cole young from working class bow hunter and uh cole thanks so much for coming back on the show tonight man yeah no problem i'm i'm excited to be here i didn't get to talk to brandon the first time and and i'm always was happy to to help you guys out or or uh speak believe it or not there's somebody that wants to hear me talk so, <laughs> <laughs> so no, if, you, if you guys are it that's and you you're my you're my audience oh that's <laughs> hey we you give some high quality content man and tonight everyone's gonna want to hear this story uh but 
I do want to kind of keep with the theme here for a minute, just how this year was kind of unpredictable. And we don't want to give away too much yet because we're going to kind of build into this and, and talk about uh, some of the stuff that uh, went into this incredible story. But your expectations, I'm sure, were high for the season because uh, as we talked, I think it was back in episode it's either 16 or 17. I think it was 16. Uh, we interviewed you just on, uh, on what it's like to really – pattern these mature bucks and, and hunt down these really old age class bucks. And so with that in mind, I think, you know, going into the season that probably, you probably had some pretty high expectations as you do most seasons, but I don't think you uh, quite thought it was going to be a buck of a lifetime kind of year. Did you? No. So I, I mean, I knew coming into the season that there was, um, I'd say there was probably three deer, three to four deer on our home farm that I knew were going to be in that caliber of, you know, I'd say when, when I say that caliber, I mean, 150 to 170. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, somewhere in there. I, I just, I knew that last year there were several four and a half year old bucks and on my other piece, I had really no idea what to expect. I had a really, really bad shed season down there, so I, I actually found like eleven deadheads, and oh, I was man. I was pretty skeptical that I, I guess I shouldn't say skeptical. I was I was pretty confident that EHD had hit that area. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. When you're finding that that dense of a uh, pile of deadheads, that's that's usually pretty well indicative of that. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's kind of what I think leads to being the m- most impressive part of the story. And uh you know, I kind of hit on this back a couple episodes ago when we interviewed uh Trevor Schmidt, a mutual friend of ours, and uh we kind of yeah, that was like the week you uh killed the buck that we're going to talk about tonight. But um <clears throat> just the fact that you went away from what you knew, which was the family farm. And obviously you guys have, have groomed that farm into, uh, you know, truly a buck factory. You know, there's just some excellent caliber animals you guys uh, take out of there every year from the sounds of it. And, and a lot of hard work has gone into that, but, uh, you really kind of pushed yourself a big step farther this year. And, uh, you kind of acquired this other piece that you, uh, I, th- I think you just, you just got permission to hunt it. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. So it, I mean, I'll take that as a, that's, that's as big a compliment as, as you can give me is to tell me that I've turned our piece into a buck factory. I mean, it's been a, a pretty long go at it you know we're talking 15 sure. years and and uh i think my my dad's on the forefront of that he kind of talked he he kind of just instilled into us what a what the difference between a three and a half and a five and a half year old buck is and and that kind of pushed me probably past what <laughs> he he thought yeah because yeah. <laughs> even even sometimes he'll be like you know you need to just you need to chill out and i'm like yeah you know uh, 
you you did this, you know. Yeah, yeah, you but, started this. <laughs> <laughs> but on the piece down, I mean, I'll just say south of here is, um, it took me quite a while to get in there. You know, it was, and I think, I, I think if if we can just start this out on a on a really positive note, it is that you know there there's tons of guys out there that think that you need to have big money and you have yeah. to lease ground mm-hmm. and you got to be you got to go with an outfitter and you got to do all these things you got to own ground and you know i i'm fortunate enough to have a really really good family farm that my dad has worked for but the farm that I'm hunting, it's just strictly, you know, the good old boy. I scratch your back and you scratch my back. And it took me, it took me two years just to get in there to shed hunt. And then oh wow, after that, um, I, I did about, I mean, I'll be conservative and say about 10 grand worth of work. Wow. To get to get the CRP in compliance, and then uh, mm-hmm. then it was a go ahead, and that's kind of what led to this deer. But I think that's a lot of things. I think I think a lot of that gets missed. I think that I think that a lot of people, you know watch the hunting shows and they they sit on facebook and they they see people that are leasing ground or or doing all this different stuff to to be able to hunt these farms and i just i just want to remind guys that that they're still out there There, there's people who are good good people and and my landowner is as good a landowner as I've ever met in my entire mm. life. I mean, I've I've never met anybody that's so excited to to see me find a shed. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> that's yeah, really that's cool. Awesome. And and he didn't even know what it was until until I went down there with him. And yeah, to see somebody that's that excited about mm-hmm. something that they don't even know anything about. Right. It's yeah. uh it's pretty cool. And it, it I I will say though it, it this has been a very much kind of out of the box experience for me as you <laughs> said. Yeah. And uh but I do want to let people know that it it does exist. You know, you don't stop knocking on people's doors. Don't stop mm-hmm going to a farmer and saying hey i'll run a grain cart for you all fall if you let me hunt you know yeah Yeah. i think that those kind of things are more appreciated than the knock on the door and hey i'll give you two thousand dollars to hunt this piece of ground yeah right right I, i don't know if that makes sense to a lot of people but it it really resonates with me you know yeah, I, because of the things I've done to to be able to be on this piece. 
Right. Yeah. You know, and when you build that relationship like that, especially in a state like Illinois, where, um, you shoot a deer, it crosses the fence into the neighbors. Now you got yourself, uh, a big challenge on your hands to make sure that, you know, you're going to be able to legally get that, get that deer. And if you got a good relationship with the landowner, they're going to go to bat for you when it comes time to contact the neighbor or, or, you know, figure it out how to get that deer. Whereas when you're detached from them and it's just this transactional relationship where you lay down some cash and, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're just not going to have that same level of, investment from them to making making that happen so i think uh you're spot on there and and certainly it opens up so many possibilities to people you're right we we a lot of times you think man i just got to grow the bank account so i can go buy some land and then i gotta try and flip that property and and go bigger and and if people want to do that that's great you know more power to them but to stay out of the game because you know, well, all I get to hunt is public land. Now I get out there and build some of those relationships. And I like how you mentioned mm-hmm. the shed hunting thing because I think that's a lot less threatening to people from the get-go. You know, like, hey, man, can I go look for antlers on your property versus, hey, can I yeah. go walk onto your ground with a gun right. or a bow or, you know, something like that. Yeah. That's, I think, it's a little more threatening. So I great, great points there. Well, let's talk about this here a little bit. Um, so you're you, – we'll get to the, you know, kind of what ended up happening on your own farm this year, but, um, how did you come across this property? And, you know, of course we don't want to give away too many details here. You know, I'm going to imagine more than a few of our listeners got a Onyx or a hunt stand or a hunt wise subscription here. So, uh, how did you, it uh, it don't matter. You're (laughs) you're not going to get in on my landowner. That's just not going to (laughs) happen. But, um, I mean, basically I, I've known the guy for several years and, and, uh, he, he basically ended up, uh, inheriting the ground and then okay. he, he bought out the other half that owned it. And, uh, we just kind of, I just kind of kept in touch, you know, yeah. I just kept calling him every I'd say three to six months and just said, Hey, you know, I'd really, I'd really love you to take me down there. I'm really in shed antler hunting. Uh, I think I do some things for you. And and then uh, it kind of grew into a friendship after he took me down there, you know, and, and we, I mean, I think the first time I stepped foot on that farm, I found, I think like eleven shed antlers. Nice. In four hours or something like that, and uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it was, it was dynamite, and and honestly, I immediately. I mean, as soon as we drove into the farm, I was like, "Yep, this is uh, this is prime whitetail habitat," you know? mm-hmm. and. Uh, he wasn't really sure how to maintain it or the things that he needed to do. And I kind of had, I mean, I had some of the right answers because we, I mean, my dad's farm is, I mean, it's about 150 acres of CRP. So, Oh, wow. We, we really know how to 
it's taken a long time, but we, we understand how to manage that CRP in order to be successful and also help the wildlife. And, uh, I looked at his farm and I said, this is in some dire need of some, some management. And Mm. yeah, he basically, we went, another year and then he completely bought out the farm outright and i said would you mind if i come down here and and do some habitat management and he said absolutely so i put the skid steer and a forestry grinder on a on a gooseneck and uh got my cousin's 15 foot bat wing and we went down there and me and my dad in one day basically cleared 60 acres of CRP. And wow. it was a lot of trees, you know, the size of your head. And, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, it was, I, I cannot believe that there was that minimal amount of trees in the crp mm-hmm. for that for that amount of time i mean yeah. i up up by us if you have crp and you haven't mowed it in 25 years i mean there's trees as big around as your waist yeah and, yeah right and i'd say the biggest trees in that place were as big as my head and mm. I was able to use the grinder to to basically level 60 acres. You know, Dad went around with the bat wing and, and mowed what he could. But mm-hmm. it was uh, it was extremely thick. And uh, he happened to come down with his wife. And uh, honestly, she's the one that I was, you know, I, I mean... I'm trying to keep both of them happy. And, and, uh, she came down and she was like, this is incredible. I, I, I can't believe you're doing all this work. Like how much money do you want? And, uh, I just said, I don't want no money. I just, uh, just said, so you just, you just want to hunt deer. (laughs) I said, yeah, absolutely. That's all I want to do. And she said, you got it. Nice. And, and uh, so, I mean, I guess the, I don't know. The other thing is, is that we went down there the the year before and, and I told him, I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. You need, you need to get this stuff mowed or, or burnt or, and in my opinion, burning does nothing and mowing does everything mm. that that you need to do for CRP. Hmm. So mm-hmm. it it was it was a little bit of good timing and uh and a good relationship and uh I'm I'm glad that we were ma- able to make it happen but mm-hmm. um yeah that's basically how it started because the year before I had gone down and hunted it a little bit 
and when I mean hunted a little bit, I mean I hunted like two days and uh-huh. uh, I hung two different sets and I mean, I literally watched the deer walk into the CRP and disappear <laughs> and then I could see a deer at 50 yards and then I couldn't see him at 40 mm-hmm. and I had enough intuition to where I was like, you know what? This farm needs some serious management if it's going to be huntable. And that's when I went to the landowner and I said, listen, I, I mean, I, I love doing what I do down here. I, I love shed hunting it. I love the opportunity to hunt it. But if I'm really, if I'm going to hunt it, I want to do some things if you're okay mm-hmm. with that. And, and he got on board with me and he nice. liked my ideas and honestly i was able to give him a little foresight into you know in in 10 years this when this actually i think some of it's up for crp and in less than five but Mm -hmm. i i said that you know i think that i think some of this doesn't pass compliability to be re-entered into crp in five years because it's so overgrown yeah um, i think i think as far as this farm concern you if you want to make money on it then we got to get to work now yeah yep <laughs> that's a good point because there are a lot of rules for uh being able to uh enroll ground into crp or other conservation programs and uh you know, that, like Cole's saying there, that can be a real problem if you uh, lose your, you know, kind of status on something that's already not being tilled because you can't just take, like, say, a pasture and be like, oh, I want this pasture now to to uh, be in CRP. That doesn't work usually. You got to have, it's got to be in use or it's got to be uh, carrying over from an old CRP contract. So, yeah, definitely uh, staying up with that, and and there's even other rules too. You know, just for as far as property taxes go. Yeah, I mean, if you stuff. if you want to get into it, there there are there are tons and tons of stipulations. I mean, if you want to try to, well, actually, right now I think they extended the acres, but you know, before I think Illinois was at complete capacity wow. of uh, enrollment, and mm. then. Uh, so if you want to enroll new new CRP, I think it's it's a three year crop history, and then uh, then you have to enroll, and then that that's not even a guarantee that you're going to get accepted. So the the and now they've they've docked it to eighty uh, percent of the county average cash rent. Man. So. I mean, the the stipulations for CRP are more than they've ever been. You know, the the heyday of getting two hundred ninety five bucks an acre for CRP are more than likely gone. Yeah, um, yeah. I think since the last farm bill. I mean, if you want to do your research, there, the, go online, look at the twenty twenty farm bill, or is it twenty eighteen? 
might be 2018. But anyways, go look at the most recent farm bill and uh, you can do your research and see what exactly is happening with that. Um, but there, there's also all sorts of new programs and um, you can actually like rent your ground to be public ground or yeah. some recra or something. I, I have no idea what it's called, yeah. but yeah, there's all there, kinds there, of them. Yeah. Yep. No, that's a, that's a really good point to put in there. And if you do have some of that capability or even the equipment, you know, that's cause that can be a, uh, kind of a, a hurdle as well for, for people, you know, it's worth it to, to offer that kind of service to, to a landowner where you want to get that permission. Now I'm dying to know something here, Cole. Sounds like this place, because it was so thick, not huntable. I think that's a, that's a good term you use there. But was this like, I mean, you talked about finding those 11 sheds in four hours. Were you guys like mowing sheds left and right when you uh, finally went and cleared all this stuff out? So that was honestly my biggest concern with my cousin's tractor and family. Yeah. And, and I, I told my dad, I said, and my dad, I mean, literally has the worst eyesight <laughs> of anybody I know. He, he is literally almost blind in his right eye. Oh, no. And, uh, I mean, he shoots left-handed, and he's always been, I, I'll say a poor shot, but he's he's always <laughs> been, <laughs> it, it's been really, and honestly, it just, like, travels with the family. I'm. I am the I am literally the only one on both sides of my family without any sort of corrective vision. Man. Mm, I'm the only hang one. on to that, man. Yeah, really. <laughs> so I, I told my old man, I was like, listen, you gotta be on the lookout <laughs> for sheds <laughs> or for anything that's gonna pop your tire. Yeah. And, I, and I'll give it to him. He went he went like uh, I actually called him and yelled at him because I thought he was going too slow, <laughs> and, and uh, he was going like two point one mile an hour. And he's like, "This is so rough. I I can't go any faster." And I was like, "Pick it up. Let's go." You know. <laughs> I and then when I when it came down to it, we ended up busting the PTO shaft on the mower, oh. and. Uh, I was like, and then I felt bad. I was like, uh, I just, I just yelled at you for, for going too slow. And then you picked it up and you busted the PTO shaft. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> but I, I do, uh, I do, I will reiterate that point. Like you, I think that landowners are much more inclined to, to give permission if you're like, hey. Whatever you want me to do, you want me to weed eat around your your power lines. You want me to mm -hmm. run a run a chisel for twelve hours in October. You know, I <laughs> I think there's there's a certain value to that that I don't think that 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 landowners aren't as inclined to see come to them every day. Yeah. You know, like there's not everybody breaking down their door to do work. Right. Yeah. Right. 
there's well, it's 15 cool. guys a year asking yeah. to hunt their property, but there's not 10 guys a year asking if they can help to hunt. Right. right. Well, it's kind of cool, Cole. You were saying like you almost like painted a vision of you know what you kind of saw and and the fact that the landowner kind of got on board with it. I mean, I can only imagine that kind of excited him a little bit. You know, the vision that you kind of cast, and that's kind of kind of a neat way to go about it. Just getting someone on board and getting excited about their property. I mean, because there's there's something powerful about owning land and and just being excited about the potential. And when someone comes along and says, "Hey, I want to." I want to help help you reach you know, help the land reach its potential. That's pretty neat. Yeah, and it, it was a it's a really really awesome. I mean, it's a it's an interesting situation that doesn't happen very often. And yeah. it, the the fact that his father in law owned it and then passed away, and uh, he didn't really have anything to do with any of the management but he was the only one interested in i I mean i want to say like fulfilling his father-in-law's legacy because right and and i thought it was really really cool because it i mean it reminded me you know he's he's more of a city type of kid and uh I, I thought it was really, really cool that he was just trying to try. Mm-hmm. Like, like he just, he wanted to do the right things. He just didn't know. He didn't yeah. know how to do them. You know, and uh, that that was really, really neat to me. I, and that's why I, I wanted to help him. And it, and it took, it took a lot. I mean, yeah. some people yeah. would say that it took a lot of work. And I mean, even my dad was like, what are we doing all this for? Yeah. And I was like, you know, dad, I, I really think this is a, is a great farm. I, I think that it's capable of producing a 200 incher. Mm-hmm. And I think that we got a really, really good person here. And, that's and by the end of the time my my old man was really <laughs> he was really really he was kind of on the fence and then we went down there and do all the work and he's like you know i think you should put a camera here and we should put some sands up here and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> now, you're now, now it's good now it's good <laughs> Uh, so is your so is your dad secured his permission to hunt down there yet he probably has to go yeah, through you no, doesn't no. he <laughs> so, so my uh my old man is uh no matter where i hunt he he can hunt <laughs> yep yep mm-hmm. yeah. well, that's, yep. that's uh yeah. i don't know i just uh i think that some people have a don't don't have the respect for for the people that get them started as, as they should. And I told my old man, I said, you go, you go right up to the, <laughs> to the supermarket and you buy yourself a tag for down there. And he's like, well, why do I need that? I was like, cause, cause if you want to come hunt, you can. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, that's cool. And, and that will remain that way forever. And yeah. that's why I'm, I'm in the process of building some box blinds for him to sit in and 
and uh, I'm re- I'm really hoping to just kind of create um, this unique situation down there, and uh, yeah, I'm just excited to to be able to. I guess I guess I'm just excited to give my dad what he's always given to me. Yeah, with, without even knowing what he's given to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's it's cool to be in that position now, and and you know, not just your deer hunting career, but your life. You know, where you can kind of start giving back to your own your own dad who. If I remember correctly from the last time we had an interview with you, uh, he really introduced you to hunting and, you know, what that's meant to to your life as a whole. You know, it's really cool that you can kind of now almost uh, give something back to him. So that's really cool. And it's cool that you yeah. guys have all that, have all that time uh, together. You know, one other thing that I've kind of thought of with all the work that you guys put into this farm Obviously, that changes how you value the place. You value it more, you know, because you got your own blood, sweat, and tears into it. But you know the land better, you know. Um, I think that's one of the things about hunting private ground that you have, you know, in a sense, you have the keys to. You know what I mean? You just get Mm -hmm. to know that ground so well and what that does for your confidence with hunting, you know. Oh, if I'm not if I'm not seeing deer right now, it's probably because they're over on this part of the property. Or, you know, I'm going down to uh, the farm to hunt tomorrow. The wind is supposed to be this. Okay, no problem. I'm going to go set up over here where I already have this prepped. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, mm-hmm. just when you when you put that work in, you get to you really get to know that place like uh, the old saying goes, like the back of your hand. And so. Mm-hmm. When you guys were were putting in those hours and questioning your sanity, you know you're also, I mean, not not just from the improvement of the landscape, but from just getting to know the piece better. You know, it's it's stuff that you set aside and and almost store up for future benefit. So I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's really a, an important part of it. So, well, sounds like this property had a ton of cover. Um, what was the, so is the entire farm basically lay aside ground or is, is there some ag still on this farm? Have you ever hunted out west or maybe thought about going on your first ever western hunt? Either way, you need to complete the applications, navigate every state's processes, and actually end up getting a tag to go hunt. Now the good news is, despite all of these hurdles you gotta jump, there's a great business out there that specializes in this exact thing, and I'm talking about Alex Gruen over at East to West Hunts. Alex is your one-stop shop to get the information you need to get the tags that you desire and to actually get out there and hunt the species of your choice. Now, Alex offers services for the DIY hunter for as low as $8 a month if you're just getting started out, or you can go with one of his premium plans and put all the planning on Alex, and he'll actually complete all the applications and hunt plans for you. 
And on top of that, he will even send you waypoints on where to camp, hunt, and more if you have this hunt planning service. So how do you get started? Well, you got to head over to www.alexgruen.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N.com. And check out the offerings Alex has for you there. Or you can even give Alex a ring at 720-248-7181. And be sure to use the code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. That's F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10. Use that at checkout or mention that you're a First Gen Hunter podcast listener when you call him on the phone and you will receive 10% off any service you purchase through Alex. No, so it's a it's basically 160 acres, so two 80, 80 acre tracks. Okay, and uh, so it it's almost split half and half, set aside timber. Okay. So, I mean, and it, I mean, I'm assuming that whenever you know, 30 years ago, it was probably half farmed, sure, and and half timber, and yeah. I would say that maybe 30 to 40 acres of that is tree plantings, and then the other, you know, 40 to 50 acres is uh, CRP native grass and uh it's essentially one big creek that runs through the property right almost diagonally across it and then there's two other small creeks that feed that big big creek and uh it's there's probably 50 acres 50 to 60 acres of of high ground and then almost the entirety i mean the the rest of it is all that creek bottom yeah river bottom type of ground Mm -hmm. sure yeah so for food then i mean obviously you're october you know there's plenty of green stuff around and and they can they can find you know plenty of forage and in that timber were there was there like any uh acorn crop for the deer to be feeding on or was it mostly you know just your regular like nettles and you know all the the green forbs and stuff along the the field edge so like right off the bat like two years that i shed hunted it before this um Mm -hmm. there is absolutely no food um the the timber is most of the timber on the place is extremely thick um Mm. it's like a lot of hackberry and elm stuff like that uh it's a lot of honeysuckle okay um it's a lot of autumn olive um Mm. there's a lot of invasive type stuff and uh it, it looks to me i mean i've been a lot around a lot of timber in my life and it looks to me that it was cut at some point sure. within the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's not a lot of mature trees. Um, 
And it's just it. The first time I went down there, I was super excited because I found a lot of antlers, and there there's no food on the property at all. Yeah. And I mean, there is mud paths going through this piece. Um, I mean, I I was astounded because I didn't have a lot of high hopes <laughs> going into it because you know hunting, you know, and northwestern illinois if you don't have food late yeah yeah um your your chances of finding shed antlers are minimal right and i went down there and i was like oh man you know let's just i'm 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 almost just just trying to to get in (laughs) yeah you know Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not essentially looking for antlers but we just stumbled upon quite a few. And, uh, other than that, it was, uh, the, the timber is extremely thick. There's no food. There's really not a lot of oaks. Um, sure. It's a lot of big, heavy bottom. Uh, most, most of the tree plantings are, a lot of that canary reed grass. Ugh, um, that stuff is awful. Yeah, it is. And it's it's really, really thick. And I knew that going into it, after walking it for about two hours, I was like, man, this, this place has the capability of being mm-hmm. a powerhouse. Because... Yeah. It has all the things that a big buck wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has, other than food, and honestly, I believe that if if all a big buck has to do is travel for food mm-hmm. after the rut, mm-hmm. that's really not that big of a deal for him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. You know, how many times do you see uh, fall tilling now, you know what I mean? Where these deer, they're, they get all displaced cause they've been bedding in corn and traveling through standing corn. And then all of a sudden in a weekend, that's all gone. And then, uh, you know, a week later farmers out there with his, uh, disc and he's got it all, all the, the leftover corn disked under and now you just got a mud field, but those deer will still bed close by, you know, but like you said, they'll, they'll travel for that food. But yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think the cover during like good winter cover is, is the thing that I, I have found, again, I have not been looking for sheds near as long as you and Brandon have, but, but I've hit it pretty hard the last six, seven years. And, um, I've just learned that, you know, if you can't, if you don't have cover on a, on a farm, the deer, they just kind of, they, they don't want to be there in the late season. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. And I've, and I've almost found that in the late season, it's, uh, it's the grass really that does it. I mean, yeah. they, they like that high ground. Don't get me wrong. They, they really like that high ground, but if you got that high ground, and you got grass, like you're you're looking at the right area. And yeah. I will <laughs> say that I shot 169 or what was he 167 and seven eighths, something like that. I I shot out 
I shot that deer January 10th and there was 110 deer in a chisel plowed cornfield. Oh, wow. Whoa. So that just goes to tell you that if they get hungry enough, yeah, they'll pick through you it. You will find them. I mean, it was there was so much snow that I had my uncle's farm manager plow me a road to my stand. Wow. Or to, <laughs> well, technically to an area that I was wanting to hunt. And then I yeah. hung the stand that same day and shot that deer two hours after I hung the stand. Wow. Wow. When uh, Cole, I was going to ask you too, what was, what was the scope on the, uh, like neighboring properties? Did you know anything about, you know, that were they, you know, quality buck hunters? Did you know anything about, you know, the, the neighbors? So I know nothing. I know nothing about the neighbors. Okay. I still, I still know nothing. Okay. Um, I know that the, I know that one neighbor is an outfitter. I know <laughs> oh, that, oh, okay. I know that one neighbor is, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but it looks to be a lot of Amish in the area. Okay. Um, and then I don't, I don't really know anything about the other neighbors. All I know that my landlord has basically received uh, mail from every single one of them mm-hmm. and t- turned it all down, which is a really, really good pat on the back to me. And I hope that that continues. Um, I have no reason to believe that it won't, but because um, if you look on a plat map, all you can see is a, is a tax address. You can't see the person's right, sure, phone number or anything yeah. like that. So that's why he's he's receiving mail. Yeah. But, uh, but other than that, I I really don't know anything about any of the neighbors. Um, I haven't really. I mean, I thought for sure. I mean, my old my old man was actually a little worried for me the first time I went down there. He's like, you know, uh, make sure you're, you know, you're locking your truck, you know. Yeah. Make, you know, he goes, you know, what we think about random vehicles that are parked close to the property line, you know, make sure you, which I always do, you know. He's like, make sure you got everything keep all your tags you know because i you know how you get you get yeah you get going in the season and your your tag is in your truck and your hunting license is in your wallet and he's like make sure all that stuff's together and yeah you know yeah yeah for sure or even there wasn't one wasn't one person that i ran into and i i heard uh Last year when I went down, I heard like two shots and, uh, I was, I'm honestly been pretty surprised. Um, but that's, you never know, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The, I agree with your, (laughs) with your dad, you know, that thought actually, because you did tell me clear back in, I think it was the week week or two before you ended up uh uh running across this uh buck for the last time <laughs> we'll say it that way <laughs> um i remember you saying that uh 
there was that outfitter across the road and, you know, nothing against them, but you know, they're bringing in people from all over possibly, you know, out of staters, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you don't always know what kind of person it is that's coming into town when you got a, got a situation like that. And, you know, uh, Pat Dirk and the longtime, uh, uh, whitetail writer from, uh, deer and deer hunting, he uh, is has the famous saying that I love to repeat, which is "deer make people stupid," <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, people will they get jealous, you know, and they they see you on there, you know, that's that's for sure. So, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely that's, yeah, that's good advice. I've already learned that. <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, from uh, from the last couple months for sure. Yeah, imagine uh, <laughs> you've gotten the classic, you, you know. The, the same things are always said, you know, in social, we, social media can be such a brutal world, but I'm sure you got a few of those, uh, Oh, it looks like a high fence deer or <laughs> whatever those people, yeah. those kind of people they can't. My favorite saying is must be nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Must be nice. I'm like, you know what? If you have any idea. <laughs> right. Yep. That's the, the fact How much is, is there's yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly Brandon it, it, there's there's less than a half a percent of the population that would do what I do for yeah. a whitetail and I you know what honestly that's what I love about hunting big big deer is because yeah. it does not matter whether you got a hundred million dollars in your bank account and you want to go with an outfitter and hunt a 200 inch whitetail Mm -hmm. or whether you got 50 bucks in your bank account and you got 30 acres that your grandpa owns it does Mm -hmm. not matter how bad you really really want it yeah yeah and that's that's what i love it's the only it, I, I would argue that it is the only sport that 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 is that is able to happen. Hmm. Yeah, where you where you can be world class and be a nobody. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, if you guys got something better, I'm I'm all ears. But <laughs> no, I think you're <laughs> I think you're spot on there, man. That's. That's a, a a good point. You know, you put in that time and, and, you know, part of it is that goes into the lesson here that, that we're hearing, um, from the story is patience. You got to be patient. You had to mm-hmm. be patient to get that permission. You had to be patient to get that work done. You had to be patient to, um, have the property in a place where you could, you know, look at it one year where you finally got to hunt it and you're like, man, yeah, the potential's here, but it's not, this is not huntable. Like you said, right now there's, there's gotta be all this work and being patient enough to wait for that to be done and, and -hmm. get there. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on there. Well, let's, um, let's kind of, uh, jump into hunting season. Now we've basically been talking about the lead up here and, and, um, I gotta say, you know, Cole and I, we've talked a lot since, uh, the last time, uh, we interviewed, and I've gotten bits and pieces of this story. Um, in fact, I actually remember 
the day that you went down to do all that work, I was texting you because I was having some issue with a cell camera and you were like, uh, on your way back, you're like, yeah, actually I just hung a cell cam today and, uh, um, I'm getting, uh, pictures of deer right where I was just working. (laughs) You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like an hour after you guys pulled out of there and the deer were already filing back in. I thought that was pretty cool. But, um, so I know these these little bits and pieces of the story, but what what really once October one hit, did you know this buck that you ended up killing? And, and we'll go ahead and name it name him now. He's got a couple names, right? He's got a uh, kickstand, right? That was one, wasn't it? And yep. uh, tomahawk was that was that another one? Yeah. So and so after I. We'll get into that later, but eventually I see the deer and I'm like, good grief, that thing looks like a weapon. <laughs> like, it, like it's uh, like a tomahawk, and then I just started calling him Tommy. Yeah. Tommy Tomahawk. Yep. Yeah, it was a, it was a very fitting name. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping you'll loan me a few. Actually, I think you already did loan me a few uh, of the trail cam pictures. To I'll, I'll try to post along. Uh, if not directly in this uh, link on the website, it'll certainly be in uh, the social media post that, that I share um, when we uh, uh, finally uh, publish this episode. But um, you'll get it when you see <laughs> when you see this deer. Yeah. That that name <laughs> made sense, <laughs> and and uh, it was very a very characteristic tine that was mm, right. so cool. I mean, so cool. Basically, uh, I think I described it when you first sent me a trail cam picture of him. I was like, "Good grief! It's like a third main beam growing off the back of his, <laughs> off the back of his yeah, rack." Yeah. I mean, that, that thing was nuts. Man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, if I remember right, though, you didn't know Tommy was around until October, right? Right. So I basically, um, I mean, for people that don't know, October. Or, sorry. So April 15th through August 1st is no mow for CRP. So you're, you're not supposed to touch it, and it's based on uh, ground, ground nesting dates yeah. for, for birds, basically. Yep. So April, you know, mid, mid-April rolls around, and... Uh, I, I travel a lot for work and we're, we're still planting in Missouri and I'm just, uh, and it's wet and I'm just like, this, this is not going to work out. And then, uh, you know, it, in July, it starts getting really, really dry. And, uh, that's when I contacted my landowner and I was like, you know, for first week of August, you know, we're going to do this. And, mm-hmm. um, so you know that i think like august 8th is when i actually went down there you know we load the gooseneck up and and uh i think i left at like 4 a.m but we we do that we get everything mowed and i i basically take this corner that i really really liked and it's 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 opening up into this great big bottom off the hill and uh there's a little oak tree it's i don't know it's probably about 
you know, it's it's as big around as, you know, your calf, you know. And sure. it's it comes up and it's got really low branches, you know. It I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer in the the most visited scrape trees are those that all the deer can visit. Okay, yeah. So so those those scrapes that are at the top of your head, you know, th- those deer are standing on their back legs to yeah. try and do that. And uh, so this one, I knew. I, I just had enough experience that I was like, you know what, that this tree is standing all by its lonesome in this corner, mm-hmm. and it's oak. Yep. And I was like, all right. So I cleared everything around it. There was a lot of little trees around it. And then uh, there was another tree about as big around as your waist. And I cleared everything around that. And I put a, put a cam on that tree, that, the bigger tree. And I just mm-hmm. took the grinder and I just went all the way around that little tree, that little tiny tree. And just took it all the way down to bare dirt. And I was like, they're going to make a scrape around here. Like, these these deer have never been able to make a scrape on, on a field edge on this yeah. property in 20 years. Like, hmm. they're, they're going to come to this tree. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was, that was my hope, at least. So I set my cell cam up, and it was basically six weeks of like (laughs) non-activity i mean just just minimal you know a couple does uh, a couple really really small buck nothing really big and velvet Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. uh i'd say the 10th of october it kind of starts to pick up and i'm getting a couple really good, like, like three-year-olds, and when I when I say that, I mean, you know, maybe 140-inch deer. Sure. So, and then all of a sudden, on the, like, 15th or 16th, something like that, all I get is this picture of a deer with his head up. And he's got this giant, I mean, like, 10-inch, looks like a drop time. I mean, his head his mm. head is completely up. And so I can't, I can't quite figure out why my, so my cell cam kept saying that I'm, I'm close to, you know, like, uh, I'm at the top end of my data. And I'm like, like, what's going on? Yeah. So... I, I I get those pictures of that deer, and uh, my cousin's pretty close by, so I told him I said I I got these pictures. I can't eh, mind you. I can't really really tell what this deer is. I just see that he's mm-hmm. got pretty good beams, and he's got giant kicker or yeah. drop time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I look on my. I, I keep looking out for him, and I was like, you know, if this deer had, I, I just kind of tell myself, if this deer don't show up again in a week, I'm going to have him go pull the card and, and see what's on there. 
So it goes by a week, and I told my cousin, I was like, "You got, you got to pull that card. I, it's just killing me. I gotta, I gotta see what this thing looks like." Well, it turns out my camera was set on video, and I didn't know it. Mm. Oh no! Ah. So I mean, it, it sounds like a bad thing, but I got exceptional video this deer. I mean, <sighs> just every angle, everything you want to see. And my cousin, uh, I was actually pulling power to uh, a building site that we're going to build on, and I just get this text message that says he's a beast. I don't get any pictures. <laughs> and I, I call him and I'm like, "What the? What are you talking about?" He's like, "Hold on, let me send him again." And he sends him to me. I'm like, this deer is impressive. Like, I show him to my dad. My dad's like, "Oh wow, like, how many points does he have?" And I was like, "I don't know. I stopped counting at 18." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you knew. You knew at that point, like, all right, game on, right? Right. So, I mean, up until this point, like, I mean, I got buddies like uh, Kurt, Kurt Geyer, a real good friend of mine, and he's we work together, and he's like, sure. dude, you need to get down there and hunt that deer right now. And that's before yeah. I had these other pictures, and I was like, I just don't know, you know. I, I just see that kicker. Or that drop time, you know, I, I don't know exactly what he is. And then I get those other pictures and I'm like, holy smokes, like all the eerie math that I can do. Yeah. Says that, says that he's 200 inches, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so I go, I go on and I'm like, you know, I just, it, in my head, I'm just thinking, like, I just need one more picture. One more picture that that puts me down there and I didn't, I didn't get it. And, uh, my season goes on and, you know, I, I always am, uh, I'm tight to the home farm. It, it, I got a lot of history there. I mean, I've killed, I think six deer over one fifty, something wow. like that. Wow. On that, on that farm. Gosh. And it's just, I've, I found most of my sheds there. Um, mm. It's just, it's where my, it's where my heritage is. You know, yeah, it's been it's in my family place. for, for 150 years. Man. You know, it, it, wow, that's awesome. It, it's a special, special place to me. And yep. I really always like to hunt our home farm and, uh, I had some time off there right by, I, I usually always take that. I, I, I like to take that break, like, uh, the, the 28 through the second. Sure. I, I really, really, really like that time frame. Um, mm -hmm. it, it gives the ability to call and, uh, see a lot of different bucks that you, probably aren't going to see the rest of the year um mm -hmm. it's that it's that time frame when there's competition going on and there's there's things happening that aren't going to happen the rest of the time of the year sure so 
I I go in on a morning, uh, Halloween morning, and it's just it's a great big full falling moon, mm. and I'm walking across the CRP. The the stand that I'm sitting, you have to walk diagonally across this great big open crp field and i can literally mm-hmm. see my shadow because the moon is so bright <laughs> and i just was walking in and i was like you know what it's gonna i got i got it's it's happening today i know yeah, it. yeah. i just i don't know why i just get those days where i'm it's a, a butt killing day I got that confidence, and I'm just like I told Kurt. I was like, I I just had blood in my eyes as soon as I stepped out of the truck, mm-hmm. man. Like it just felt, and I and I got up in the stand and seen like four or five does and a little buck, and I just let everything pass. And I I I love to. There is not a lot of guys that like to blindly rattle. And I happen to be one of those people. I <laughs> I think that I am a firm believer in the fact that you're not going to scare a deer with a deer sound. And there, there's other guys, and don't get me wrong, there's other guys that will completely argue against this. But uh, I I like to rattle in that time frame. I'm not going to do it in december i think that's silly but that time of year i think there's there's not a lot of harm that can come from it so i i paint a scene and i rattle two minutes later this deer steps out working a scrape and he comes along the field edge and i range it it's like 37 yards and i'm like all right if he comes there i'm gonna shoot him i got a little bitty window and then he just cuts right into the timber 20 yards and I tried to stop him but it didn't happen and I shot him mm. and he went like he went like 25 yards and and keeled all over I just made a hammer shot on him and it ended up being like 150 inch when 148 and some change to be exact but I, That's was, nice deer. I was super stoked it was one of the deer that we were on the fence about maybe if he comes out with a bow and and the week before we decided that if anything close to 150 comes by it's it's game over and uh mm-hmm. we'll we'll focus on maybe the two deer that are over 160 after that and uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I would be lying if I said that I was in a rush to get down south. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Understandably so. Yeah. And I'm and I'm also in this other thing. It's called the Bow Hunting League. And I don't know if you guys know about this. No. No. So look it up. It's called the Bow Hunting League. Sure. And uh, I'm in it with two other buddies. One one kid's from Ohio, and the other the other guys from cambridge okay uh, his name's dana pace he'd be a, a really really good person to get on the show yeah for uh for shed hunting i mean he 
mm. he finds 60 to 80 antlers a year. Man. Wow. And, and he's just a good, really, really good dude. I mean, you're, you're not going to find a nicer guy, in my, in my sure. opinion. Sure. Yeah, I'd yeah, love to talk uh, to him. We so I'm in this and I'm I'm I I'd be lying if I said I wasn't feeling a little bit of pressure. And uh so I'm like I, I'm not gonna be the one the one guy in the group that doesn't kill. So that contributed to my that that morning. But yeah. uh nonetheless I was I was stoked to have a great deer on the ground. That's the earliest I've killed a deer in probably 12 years. I mean, it's been a really wow. long time. And yeah. uh, so I, I get I get done with that, and I'm pretty much dialed in. I'm like, I'm going to go down and, and, and see what we got going on. Right. So I initially had that next week thursday friday saturday sunday off you know i took my two days to get thursday friday and i and the weather was looking really really warm yeah and i was like you know what i think i think i'm gonna push it another week so i i end up just taking friday off and, and Friday, I leave here at like seven, eight o'clock in the morning. I let, I help get the kids off or whatever, and uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I end up, I end up getting down south about, oh, I don't know, probably ten o'clock. Okay. And I, I stop at my cousin's where I got all my stands and stuff stashed. And I grabbed two stands and about, I don't know, 20 screwing steps because I'm old school and I like sure. screwing steps. It, it does not limit you to what tree you can hang a stand in. Yeah, that's true. And, and, yeah. and I will stand, stand by that to the day I die. No, that's, that's, uh, that's good to hear that, that, you know, because a lot of times you hear a lot of guys be like, yeah, don't do those. They're too dangerous. Or, you know, probably I imagine some people worry about them damaging the tree or something like that. But I think mm -hmm. if you know what you're doing, you know, and, and, uh, again, just from an affordable standpoint, you know, it's a lot cheaper yeah. than buying sticks for every tree or a ladder stand for every tree you want to, you want to be in. And you got to be able to be mobile enough to, go to where the deer are going to be at if you're going to if you're going to get a kill on yeah so i think that yeah i think it's good to hear that people still use some of those like you said old school techniques and you know you, you'll still see them on trees every now and then when you're looking for sheds or something like that you'll see somebody else yeah using them. but yeah that's that's uh that's good that you you put that in there uh, so you get down there, you got a couple of stands. How did, how did you go about hanging those up without, you know, with being as minimally invasive as, uh, you could without, you know, messing up your hunt?
White Duck Outdoors manufactures and provides the highest quality premium canvas gear for hunting parties and outfitters with a complete range of canvas wall tents, cabin tents, and bell tents White Duck offers shelters that you can spend days or even weeks in when you're out on the big hunt. The tents are built from their proprietary Dyna Duck fabric. It's 100% Army Duck cotton canvas treated with a breathable, PFC-free, fire water repellent, mold, and UV-resistant finish. All tents also come equipped with all add-ons at no extra cost. This includes a complete pole set, stove jack, storm door, floor, bug mesh, and windows. White Duck also has a line of hunting gear that includes heavy-duty canvas tarps designed to protect any gear and equipment, ripstop beds for your gun dogs after a long day of hunting, and military-grade duffel bags to brave the outdoors. All products from White Duck come with free shipping, free returns, and a lifetime warranty. Visit www.whiteduckoutdoors.com and use the promo code all caps first gen for 10% off your first purchase. That's www.whiteduckoutdoors.com with the promo code all caps F I R S T G E N to save 10% off your first purchase. that's kind of where the story gets a little interesting because i i go down there i get all my stuff together i drive down the farm and i pull in and and i was like you know what there's there's actually a little barn on this property and it's about it's probably 150 yards off the road and i typically i mean i mowed out a spot to park right off the road and I was sure. like, you know, this this is where I need to walk in. And I pull mm-hmm. in, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to hurt anything at 11 o'clock, driving to the barn, unloading my stuff, and hunting. That way, if I need to come back, get another stand, get another setup, and go back, I don't have to walk as far. Right. So... I park behind the barn. It's, I mean, nothing can see me. And I mean, I get all my gear ready. I got all my stuff back. And that's another thing. Like, I I am probably killing any sponsorship possibility at all. (laughs) But I am not a big gear guy. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean... If you want to, if you're trying to sell me stands and sticks that all clip together and are lightweight and all that, you're you're barking up the wrong tree. Like I will <laughs> carry, I will carry twenty pounds of extra weight to save myself two hundred bucks. I I just don't. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of people out there that that are trying to do 
I think I think there's a lot of people out there trying to do less work, whereas they should be trying to just do more work and not worry about their weight. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Whatever they're trying to do, it, it, it's it all comes down to. For for me, if if you want it, I mean, I've carried a 16 foot extension ladder and a stand in my bow because I wanted to get into a stand really, really quick. <laughs> like if, <laughs> yeah. if you want it bad enough, you'll, you'll do some stuff that nobody else will. Right. Yeah. But anyways, I, I get down there, I park my truck, get all my stuff together. And I mean, I walk 20 feet and I see a doe come out of this big, brushy tree plantings and she's getting chased by a little buck in a circle mm. and then and then mm-hmm. another little buck <laughs> and i'm like all right so i just kind of sit down and i mean i am standing 20 feet from this building and i'm like all right i'm just gonna chill out see what happens so another little buck starts chasing her and then a little bit bigger buck and then a little bit bigger buck and then a pretty good buck. <laughs> and then another pretty good buck. And then pretty soon, oh, man. <laughs> all these bucks blow out of there. The doe runs up the hill. And I look up, and here comes Tommy. <laughs> and, mm. I just see this gigantic kicker coming off the back and Mm. he pushes this doe right up the hill. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Did that just happen? I just seen every (laughs) buck that I have a picture of (laughs) in the first 50 seconds that I was down here hunting. Oh man. And it was, wow. uh, it was the most impressive thing I've I've ever witnessed in my life. Did you wonder? And did you wonder for like a second that you like died and went to heaven and you just didn't know it? I mean, <laughs> seeing all these deer so, chasing around and then there he is. There's the the buck of your dreams. <laughs> man, no kidding. So he 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 pushes this doe up the hill and. I didn't even know what to think. I just called, I called my dad and I was like, dad, you're never going to believe this, but I've been down here for, you know, 10 minutes. And I just Mm -hmm. watched, I just watched that 200 incher walk up the hill. And he's (laughs) like, okay. Um, so what did he do? And I was like, well, he did this and this and this. And he goes, well, you know, we had always talked about this back corner and he's like, well, why don't you see if you can get to that back corner? And I was like, I really feel like I should just go to that tree where he just walked by. And, uh, and just set a stand right there. And he's like, well, Mm. you know, do what you think. So I kind of just let everything settle down. And uh, 
start to kind of ease up towards where he was. And I get so far, and I just look over, and I'm like, oh, man, that's that's the tree right there. And mm. I was like, you know what? Let's just see. Let's just see if my old man was right or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I ease a little bit further, and I just I blow out two three year olds. And I mean, when I say they're close, I mean one's like twenty yards, and the other one's like twenty five yards. Oh man! So I just drop my stand. I grab my bow. I find some cover. Which happened to be in a in a honey locust, which was terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thorns and, everywhere, probably. Yeah, I got a thorn in my back. And <laughs> I knock, knock an arrow, and I just hear this grunting and roar mm. from inside this thick little bowl, and I'm like, "That's him. That that is 100% him," and he. These three-year-olds kind of move out of the way, and I just grab my – I kind of let everything calm back down. I grab my stand. I walk 50 yards back to where I was, and I get right – and in 15 minutes, I'm in that tree that I wanted to be in from the first place. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I sit there the remainder of the day, and at about 25 minutes dark – here comes those two three-year-olds coming right down the pipe, right to my stand. They look mm-hmm. over to where I was standing when I bumped them, and both of them move up into where I thought that buck was at. And ten minutes before dark, here comes all There's Tommy working the scrape on the road in between me and my truck. Man, I mean, mm. he's he's seventy yards from me and a hundred from my truck, oh, but he can't goodness. see my truck. Mm. And he works the scrape. He starts following that doe, and I can just tell from how he's acting that he he's not leaving that doe. Right. But I can't help myself, so. I give him a couple contract contact grunts, and then I get a little more aggressive, and then I throw a snort wheeze at him, and he doesn't mm-hmm. even. I mean, he just he doesn't even flinch. He just hmm. stays with that doe and takes her right into the thicket, and I lose him, and I'm just like, all right. Mm. So I sit there until. I mean, a good half hour after dark because I am mm-hmm. so worried about bumping this deer. Yeah, yeah and for sure. I end up with a five-year-old 25 yards from my stand <laughs> that I really don't want to. Sh- I mean, coming into it, I probably would have shot, but yeah, yeah. seeing him right. twice in one day, I, I'm not shooting anything else. Right. So I sit there a little longer. I get out of there and I come back to my cousins and I'm like, it's, uh, this trip's over. I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I said, he's with that Mm -hmm. doe. 
I literally just seen him run off a bunch of bucks. So that tells me he's probably going to be with her for at minimum 36 hours. Right, yeah. So that puts me well into – I mean, so I hunt the morning Sunday. I don't see him. I see both the three-year-olds. And I'm like, all right, 11 o'clock, I get down, I get out, and I get out of there. Yeah. So I set up time to come back down on the next week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The weather is supposed to completely mm. change. It's supposed to get cold, mm. and it's supposed to be high pressure, and everything's supposed to be right. Yep. So Thursday night rolls around, or sorry, Wednesday night rolls around, and Ariel says, I'm sorry. We don't have anybody to watch the kids <laughs> on Thursday. And I'm like, you know what? It's no big deal. I'll just leave Thursday night. Yeah, and, there you go. And I'll go down. Then I can hunt Friday morning, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's like, all right, that's fine. So Thursday afternoon comes along. I get home. Ariel shows up after work and she's like, man, I feel like garbage. Oh, no. And I'm like, all right. And I mean, bless her heart. My wife is like the sweetest. I mean, she she cares more for others than she does for herself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If that Mm -hmm. if that tells you anything. And she was super upset. She's like, I'm. You're not going to get to go on your hunting trip. You've been looking forward to this. You got that big deer nailed down. And I'm like, listen, it's it's not a big deal. If I if I don't get to go, it's not it, it doesn't doesn't matter. He's not going anywhere. Right. It don't don't feel bad for me. Right. So <laughs> she's like, well. I put the kids, I said, why don't you just go down, go to bed. I'll put the kids to bed and I'll leave. If I got to drive home tomorrow morning, it's not a big deal. So that all happens. Go down to my cousins. I wake up next morning and I get a text message from Ariel at 5.05. That says, I don't feel very good. At 5.10... I get a picture of this deer. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and I'm like, he is by himself. Oh, man. I got a chance. So I immediately call Ariel and I'm like, honey, do you need me to come home right this instant? And she's like, well, I just, I feel like I need to go get tested. And I'm like, all right, how about I just hunt the morning and then I'll just I'll just head <laughs> I said I'm already on my way to the farm. I mean, you're not gonna be able to go until I get home anyways, right? She's like, Yep, that's fine. So nice. <laughs> so I so I go down, I get in the stand, and I mean it's it does not take long for the action to start. And it, oh, probably 10 minutes, five minutes, 
before light, and I see a really, really good deer working a scrape mm. 70 yards from my stand. And I look over, and I just see a lot of white horns, and I'm like, mm. is that him? Is that him? Well, I forgot my binoculars in my truck. Oh. So I just, I, I am looking and looking and looking. I don't see that great big kicker coming off. I'm like, that's not him. I let that, I mean, by the time he made it past me, it was shooting light-ish. And I was like, eh, no. That deer works on. And then I'd say 10 to 15 minutes later, 10 minutes. I mean, it's like 625, 630. Mm-hmm. And I just looked down and I just, this giant's walking right down the pipe right oh, to me. man there's essentially a big cut between the creek and the old ag ground that would have been the old creek bed mm-hmm. and it's nothing but swamp grass and cottonwoods about 14 to 16 inches big oh man and it's wide open and it's where both those three-year-olds came right down the weekend before. And here he comes. And I grabbed my bow. And I just mm. did a quick double check. And I'm like, it's him. And he, mm. I mean, if I said he walked any away from the tree at all, I'd be lying. I mean, he, he walked straight to the tree. Mm-hmm. I actually got nervous that he was going to come right under the tree. So I'm basically in a clump of like four cottonwoods. I mean, I climb up on a different tree than I'm in. And Mm -hmm. so like I step up the tree next to me and I, I start picking out spots under me i'm like i'm gonna let him walk by and i'm gonna put one up in his ribs and i'm i'm gonna try to make an ethical shot because as far as i'm concerned that's not the most ethical shot and he just keeps coming and coming and coming he gets to 10 yards and i'm like turn and finally he just looks and he turns and he goes right around the clump that I'm in. So then I'm kind of scrambling looking for spots because I don't, I, I don't want to say I don't, but I typically do not trim shooting lanes. I, I okay. try to find trees that are, that I, I like to look, at where a deer is going to travel and then pick out a tree that I can shoot him from without trimming a lane. So mm-hmm. he starts to go around that tree and I'm like, it's cottonwood. So, you know, there's, there's lanes everywhere, but yeah. they're all really, really small <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. all close yeah. together. So I get drawn back and I pick a lane and I try to stop him. Just like the buck I shot two weeks earlier, and I just meh, 
meh, and he does not stop. So I just let her fly, and I heard a really good. It it sounded really good. It mm-hmm. felt really good. Yeah, yeah. And he just bounds off like thirty five yards, and he's just then he kind of just gallops a little bit, and then mm-hmm. he just walk walks like fifteen yards, and I'm like, did I just make a bad hit? Like what? Yeah, yeah. What just? I've never had a deer react like that. Yeah. So I'm just sitting there, and I I knew by the sound that it was in the ribs, and I'm just like, come on, come on, come on, and I just look, yeah. and I just see his back end just going back and forth, back and forth. He's just standing there now. Yeah. Like sixty five, just standing there, going back and forth, back, and it felt like. 10 minutes it was probably like 45 seconds uh-huh, yeah yeah and finally i just he goes back forth and then i just lose him and i'm like okay he just went down he just went down right yeah there. yeah so i immediately call my dad i caught well i called my i called ariel first <laughs> i was like honey don't even worry about anything else. I just, <laughs> I just smoked that giant. And she's like, you did not. I'm like, I, I did. I just put an arrow in him at least. Yeah, yeah, and, right. Uh, I called my dad and he's like, I told him how he reacted. And he's like, well, I'll just sit there. Because you don't want to push a deer that big. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, okay. So I call my cousin, and he goes, and he was just like my wife, because he's been hearing about it just as much as her. He's like, mm-hmm. you did not. I'm like, I, I did. He's <laughs> like, all right, I got to take the kids to school. It's going to be at least an hour. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to sit and stand that long. <laughs> and, then yeah. I, I, <laughs> and then I call Kurt, and Kurt's like, dude, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be rushing. Like, just sit there and just soak it all in. That's good advice. So I just hung my bow up, and I just sat there. And I looked, and, I mean, I forgot my binoculars. I said <laughs> that earlier, but I very, very rarely do that. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there. And it's been 45 minutes, and I'm like, felt really, really good. Yeah. And I'm just, I keep looking over there, and finally the sun gets up high enough. And I'm like, is is that his rack? Oh, it, man. Is is that a deer? Is that his, is that his body right there? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I call my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I'm pretty sure I can see his I can see his rack laying there. And I mean, uh, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that. I mean, it it takes a really. I mean, I've never sat in the stand and like had an emotional moment. But yeah, I I shot that deer and I I felt like I enjoyed the moment because I. I mean, I blubbered like a baby for, <laughs> for, for, 
for a couple seconds, and I was like, I just, I just did what I've been trying to do for 15 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It it was just this culmination of, of emotion and yeah, hard work. Yeah. Yeah, It's a once in a lifetime, it's a once in a lifetime emotion, you know, for, for, for a lucky deer hunter, let alone a guy who's put in the work to, to get to this point, you know? So I think that, uh, (laughs) enjoying the moment like that is, uh, totally appropriate. Man, I was just, that feeling will, will resonate with me for a very long time. And I, Oh yeah. I, I find so. I, I kept looking where I thought I had hit him, and I thought that I seen, you know, when it when the sun wasn't up, I thought that it was just like dark brush. You know, you you get out in the woods yeah. and you see that like brownish type brush, and I'm like, ah, oh, no, it's just it's just that dark brush. Like I don't see any blood. Like there's no there's no reason for me to push this. And then I thought, I mean, finally when I thought that I seen him. I get down, and I'm like, I'm just going to go right to the site. If I don't see good blood, good blood, I'm walking back to the truck. And yeah. I, I get down, and everything that I thought was dark brush was blood. Wow. And it's just like somebody took a paintbrush and just threw it out in front of me. And I was like, yeah. I got to follow this. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I only walked 10 feet. And I can see him laying dead, and uh, it was, I finally get up to him, and I mean, granted, so it's just me down there, and and my cousin, and he he's not going to be there for another half hour, so I just, I mean, I legit just sat down for a half an hour, just sat next to him. Oh, man, that's special. And just, just hung out. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's unique how that all how that all worked out for you to. You know, I I got to think that in all the history of deer hunting, all the. You know, pushing two hundred inch, class, deer that have been shot, and even recovered. Mm-hmm. How many of them was there a sleepless night, attributed to? You know, I remember. I remember, uh, let's see here, maybe two years ago, some guy in Iowa shot a uh, just a giant. He was two hundred class buck, and he he saw his like he saw his knock, the his lighted knock, you know, like riding off in the dark with his deer, and he felt like he had a good shot and everything, but it was it was one of those where he shot him right, you know, at last light. And, uh, mm-hmm. he had to let it go for the night and he's like, you know, I couldn't sleep a wink, you know, for that, that very much could have gone that way here. But the fact that it, not only you were able to see where he tipped over once the sun came up, but then to have that special moment, uh, you know, I do a lot of hunting by myself. Almost, almost all the hunting I do is, is alone, you know, just that's part of being a first gen hunter. You know, you don't, don't have a mm-hmm, lot of hunters mm-hmm. around you, but, uh, moments like that, when I killed my, my buck a couple seasons ago, 
that being there by yourself almost makes it better in a weird sort of way. You know what I mean? Like, and then to have that moment where you had 30 minutes to sit there and just kind of like soak it in as, as uh, your buddy Kurt was telling you to do, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, will make you smile the rest of your life, I think. And, and, uh, you know, when you're, when you got them up on your wall here, hopefully before too long, you know, you'll be, you'll be looking at that with that moment with great fondness. I got to think. Well, it's like anything else too, you know, just with, you know, sometimes you don't get a chance to slow down, you know, whether it's your, your wedding, whether it's your wedding day or whether it's recovering a big buck or anything else, you know, sometimes you just don't get a chance to really slow down and enjoy it. So it's the the chance to really just be able to sit and, just soak that in man i mean that's that's just something that really amplifies the memory so much yeah yeah that's yeah that's i, I kind of can that's that's probably the most special part to me is uh most the deer that i've killed you know on on the on the home farm you know there's always everybody's a call away you know and you can just right i mean i call my dad and he's there within 15 minutes you know and and we're taking pictures and and he's in the back of the truck and this is kind of the first time that i've really been able to sit down and 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 really take it all in i mean i Mm -hmm. i don't even really know how to explain it but i'm really glad that it happened yeah Um, the, a deer this special it was uh it's pretty pretty awesome i i've always kind of felt that you know i don't it i guess it's a for me it's it's more of a intimate relationship with with each deer you know i i follow some deer for for four or five years you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i i <laughs> I'd be lying if I said that I kind of get attached to them. So, oh yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very rewarding to me to be able to to sit there and and really take it all in and and be able to to for things to transpire the way that they did. It was uh, it was pretty special and. I think Ariel was pretty excited that she didn't she didn't ruin my hunting trip, but <laughs> she, she, I ended up I ended up taking pictures and and coming back home, and then she tested positive for COVID, and I was off for fourteen days, and I didn't have a buck tag. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, kind of a get your your two week vacation, so to speak, there and. Uh... <laughs> the one I know time, it's the at one the time wrong time. You know? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, if <laughs> she she jokes, she's like, well, it it took me having COVID for you to shoot a two hundred incher, and I was like, don't don't say that, don't don't try to dull it down. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> she's, no. she's completely fine, by the way, and nobody else got it. Oh, good, so. good. good. That's great. Yeah, so that we is. can joke about it, but otherwise, yeah, apparently you can't. 
Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> glad everything worked out for you there. I mean, what a buck, what a backstory on on the whole thing, and and uh, you know, just the the months leading up to it, and then you know, I said this in the I said this in the interview with Trevor. I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the show. The most impressive thing about this whole thing to me is that you only knew about this deer since after the season started in October. Illinois Mm -hmm. Illinois archery season starts October 1. And you got a picture. Obviously, your cousin went and found that extra footage. And you put a plan together, and you went and made it happen. And, you know, with, with every deer that gets killed... We all know that the chips have to fall in our favor sometimes, but mm-hmm. but uh, so much of this was you figuring this buck out in a very short amount of time, and uh, across the street from a hunting outfitter, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm going to guess that other people had that buck on camera. You know, there's just no way. There's no way that that no one else had ever, you know, laid eyes on this buck before. And the fact that you were able to get in there and, and make that happen. I mean, that's something that only a very limited class of bow hunter, I'm going to say on the planet can pull off, you know, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's so, and, and, you know, not to diminish anything that can be accomplished on your own, you know, your own farm that you've been hunting your own life, but, or your whole life, but, you know, that's, that's something that's, you know, close to your, your house where you could, you know, run out there every night or something. I mean, you had to drive a long distance, stay overnight, and you had to get it done in a very limited amount of time. I mean, that's just... <laughs> I don't know, Cole. That's that's pretty impressive stuff there, and and uh, I know uh, I'm sure Brandon feels the same way. I just feel privileged to to get oh, in on goodness, just yeah. a little bit of the backstory before this happened, and you know appreciate you uh, including us in on on the story and and you know kind of closing the final chapter here on old kickstand tomahawk here, Tommy Tommy kickstand tomahawk. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, just a just a, a <laughs> yeah, incredible you know, story. Just, uh, I mean, I'm I'm humbled to be that you would say that about me, but I'm just uh, you know I got I got a re- couple really good buddies that that they you know they think a lot about me because I I do kill a lot of big deer and I think that sometimes that gets overshadowed by. I mean, it's that small town type of mentality, you know, where somebody kills a big deer, like, oh, well, you know, he's only got, he's got that good ground, you know, that he's been hunting for so long, yada, yada, yada. And uh, my 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 one buddy came over, and well, when as soon as I got home, and and he's like, this ought to squash it, huh? And was, <laughs> you know, he's like, you went to a farm that you knew nothing about that you did all the work to yep and mm-hmm. and this is what happened and yep. i th- i think it was uh 
I mean, I said I said this on the on the working class podcast, and I th- I think this was just a culmination of. I mean, basically everything that I've strived for for whatever fifteen years, I, and I feel like it all finally came together and mm-hmm. yeah and i just i just couldn't be i couldn't be any happier and i i ended up coming back home and the the deer looked so familiar to me that i was like mm. you know what i feel like i got a shed to this deer and i got to digging mm. and i got <laughs> I ended up fine. I have the left side to him two years ago. That's and awesome. It's, it's no wow. nice. 100%, 100% no doubt he's got a triple brow on I mean he's got tri- triple brow, triple brow on both sides but it's it's very apparent to me that's the same deer and it's I think it's the first First or second shed I ever picked up on that property. The the very very wow. first year I was wow. and I remember picking up that shed and I'm like, this deer is this is a giant. Yeah, like, mm. this deer is gonna be something special, and to have it come full circle like that is something that doesn't happen all the time, and it's it's mm-hmm. very it's a, it's a it's something that is real close to my heart and, and I think that there's there's not a lot of people out there that would would go to the level that I did to, to do mm-hmm. to do what I you're did right. and, yeah you're right and I'm I'm very 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 proud of it and I think the other thing that can come from this and I kind of want to touch on this because I think that there's a lot of people out there, especially since the, I mean, especially since cell cams have come so far. Right. Um, yeah. Like, I got a picture of this deer the 15th of October, and I didn't get another picture of him until the day I killed him. Wow. But it was very, very apparent that he was living right there because the weekend before mm-hmm. I seen him at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I think that with the evolution of, and I don't, I think we maybe talked about this before cat is I think that the, the, the evolution of, of products and, and, the outdoor world has inadvertently destroyed it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to sound that no, blunt, I hear you. but I, hear I, you. I mean, I, I, I know that there's a lot of listeners, and and you can't or are haven't been at this as long, right? But the the hunting world has come. I mean, miles and miles mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. between me hunting, you know, 20 years ago to, to now. And yeah. yeah. 
I, I think that there, there's been a lot lost there, and I think that it's done. <laughs> in in my personal opinion, it's done just as much harm as it has good. And yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think you bring up. I think you bring up a really valid point. You know, and I've and, and what's interesting here is the difference between my hunting life and and not just yours but Brandon's as well you know where I am so new to it and this being really my first year going you know hard after bow hunting and exactly what you just said you know I've each year I've been accumulating more trail cameras you know and I got a good you know pile of trail cameras now that I like to keep out and keep tabs on things and you know, you do learn from that and it, and you know, you can make that a hard work, so to speak, aspect of scouting. But what I've learned is from actually getting out there during this different time of the season than what I've ever been Mm. hunting really, you know, I've learned so much just by watching the deer, watch how they use the terrain, watch how they use the wind, watch how they you know, their behavior totally changes during the rut and pre-rut. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking of when you said, when you saw that, uh, when you saw your buck so interested in that doe the first time you went out to hunt this year and you basically, you know, you were predicting his, he was going into lockdown. You know, I saw that this year and, and I never really, you know, I, I understood what lockdown was, but I didn't understand that, you know, that's something that, like you said, can go, you know, those deer can basically stay in one spot, one little hidey hole for, you know, over a day. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I saw that exact thing this year. And you're right. We can get to a point where we almost pro- product our way out of <laughs> what it takes to to get it done the right way. And, um, you know, I, I think one of my favorite parts of your story, Cole, is, um, and uh, this is the kind of thing I was looking forward to when I finally got to hear this was when you jumped into that locust tree, you know, everything, all the gear went out the window at that moment. You know what I mean? Like you just had to be, you just had to be a predator at that point, you know, everything, Mm all your best laid plans at that point kind of went out the window and you got yourself into a position where, where, uh, you know, you were going to basically be killing this deer from the ground, you know, tucked into this tree if he had stepped out at that time. And, right. uh, sometimes that's what it takes. And, and isn't that what makes hunting so much fun though, too? You know, I was just watching a, mm-hmm. a really well-known group, on uh, YouTube today while I was grading a bunch of papers for school. And uh, um, they were they were doing a gun season hunt. And, I mean, they're, like, bringing – and I'm not against anybody doing this or, or anything like that. I don't want to say that. But, but they were, like, bringing, you know, basically the kitchen sink into the deer blind with them. <laughs> you know? It's like, mm, yeah. it's like going to the office and shooting the deer, you know, like wait for him to yeah. walk by. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think you almost, if that's all you do, you kind of, you kind of lose that specialness that, 
that comes from that excitement of jumping into a locust tree at the last minute or or belly crawling across a a field or sitting for an extra half hour in a stand because there's a five-year-old buck that's about ready to uh, ruin your chances at getting a lifetime (laughs) a buck of a lifetime Mm -hmm. you know just you get those little extra details of of doing it the right way and putting in the hard work and and pushing farther and wading deeper and everything that that you know you can really describe what it took for you to get this deer so i agree with you man well i think it's cool I, th- I think it's cool too that you know sometimes there there can be a prevalence to to feel that you know people on social media you know the big hunters on social media or, or the or the big groups you know man they've, they've got an unfair advantage they've got you know access to things or they've got you know but but what like what cole was mentioning earlier you know many times you know what what people don't see is you know the reason why they have the success that they do isn't so much because they've got all the connections you know some groups you know quite honestly they're, they're hunting a lot of public land or they're putting a lot of mm-hmm. like with coal a lot of work in to land for years on end and and they don't see that you know so there can be yeah, a prevalence to think oh you know, like Cole said, must be nice, you know, but the reality is, you know, it really it's compensatory, you know, it's compensatory to, to the work that you put in, you know, and sometimes that takes years to come to fruition, you know, sometimes it takes a long time, but if you put the work in and you're a studier and you're, you're a learner, you know, you're going to get opportunities. And so, and, and Cole is obviously the master of, you know, showing that that's the case. So, I mean, it's, it's an encouragement to all the first gen hunters out there and, and even guys who have been in it for, you know, 20 years, but maybe kind of got a little comfortable or whatever, you know, double down, you know, keep learning, you know, get out of your comfort zone, um, to, to realize that next level of success. And then like Cole was saying, you know, to, to just enjoy the experience, you know, to be able to sit there and, and rewind and, and slow down and think through it and just think, I mean, we're talking, you know, through this time, you know, about his dad and about the camaraderie that they have and man, wherever he hunts, his dad hunts and, and you know, all of this and just how special that is to share with someone and how we've talked about this over and over, how that amplifies the enjoyment of the outdoors. And I mean, for all of that to culminate, you know, in this amazing story, man, it's just special, you know, once, yeah, once in a lifetime buck, but you know, a lifetime worth of memories made as well, which is the most special thing. Yeah. Yeah. man. at the end of the day, that deer was shot with $12 worth of tree steps, a $50 stand, <laughs> and a up seat with a Hoyt Nitrum that's five years old with <laughs> scent lock pants that I've had since I was 18, <laughs> and a fleece jacket that I bought secondhand off archery buy sell trade that's the kind of stuff that people need to know yes you're right yeah you're right you're right i think that is i mean that's the story i want to tell i want to tell the story that you can be a regular guy like you can be a working class guy you know i i mean i bank time from last year to be able to i mean so i i've never had a job that i can take time off on until last year and to be able to do that i mean i i've done it now 
You know, I've killed four bucks in, in two years. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's where, that's the story I want to tell, basically, is that you can do this all with no budget, a little hard work, and you can make this happen. Yeah. I think that there's this farce within the hunting community that you got to lease ground. You got to buy some hang and bang setup where it's mm-hmm. $400 from whoever. Right. And that's not true. I mean, I literally bought that stand off Marketplace. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, those steps are probably 10 years old. And that's yeah. the cool part about it to me. And I, I love it, Brandon, that you, you know, you threw my old man in there. And, and, and that's uh, honestly the most special part to me. My, my dad yeah. is, is very much, I mean, he instilled in me a long, long time ago. You know, when I, I think we talked about the first time when i just i mean i shot like 130 inch and my dad's like i was like i wanted to get it mounted and my dad's like yeah it's it's not that big and i just have, yep. i just have always been striving i mean i don't want to sound like i got like daddy issues or nothing but i've always been striving to to kill a deer that my, my old man was like oh man yeah that's pretty big. yeah yeah my dad yeah he's seen it and he's like that's huge. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. Uh, I mean, he he works. He's retired, but he works for my uncle. And even even the guys that work for my uncle was like, "Man, your old man was was excited." And <laughs> that was kind of where it all came full circle. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sweet. You know this. <laughs> this is all worth it." Yeah. You know? Yes. But, I do, I do think that, and I, I mean, I've reiterated it a half a dozen times, but you don't, you don't need to have some powerhouse ground and pay $10,000 and shoot the best bow and the best site with the best drop away rest and hundred dollar arrows and all that you just got to have a little bit of confidence and shoot your bow and know where it shoots and know that you can seize the moment when everything starts to happen and yeah and that might be on a 140 inch deer and i'm cool yeah. with that yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah, that's uh, that's that's great advice there, and it's something I think we can go ahead and and hang this one up on. But before we do here, Cole, could you give us uh, one more time? And I I did read this off um, a couple weeks ago, right after you know the news broke that you had gotten him on the ground. And could you just kind of go over the numbers real quick, number of scorable points, and uh, the final measurements, and and uh, what what you believe to be the age of, of, uh, Tommy. So basically he's 
He's got 18 scoreable points. Wow. And if you go, man, I mean, he's got four points that are non-scoreable. Okay, yeah. Well, close. They're all mm. they're all between a half an inch and seven eighths of an inch. Oh, so close! It's got to be an sure. inch, right? Wow! It's got to be an inch right? to be scorable. <laughs> right? Man. So he's, he's so close to being two hundred inches, but um, wow. so basically he's an inch away from being two hundred inches. Um, wow! But um, basically, his right side is just a massive. Big ten point side with triple brow, man, and a big split G two, mm. and his left side is his G two comes up and it forks into like a turkey foot with a ten inch kicker going straight back. That kicker's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty Shoot, gnarly. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, um. So I scored him the first time, and I came up with, like, 192. And then that was while he was still full body. And then I, I'm i I'm a taxidermist, too. So I caped okay. him all out, cut the skull cap, and I got a string on him. And I came up with 193 and, like, six eighths or something like that. Okay. And my, so Kurt Geyer... Working class is an official score, and he thinks he's going to go 195 and some change. So we'll see wow. what, wow. Man. what ends up coming up with. I have a really hard. I I've scored a lot of deer. I mean, hundreds of deer. Yeah, I'm usually pretty darn close, but I have a hard time when their kickers have kickers. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that have kickers. You know, right? Yep. So he's somewhere in that 190 to 195 range. Um, wow, that's just that's you. You know, people can go a whole hunting career and never lay eyes on a oh on yeah an animal absolutely. Like that. I mean, that's a yeah, that's a, a phenomenal specimen there. That's that's really something. Yep. And uh, as right. our buddy as our buddy Jeremiah Haas uh, would say, we're pretty spoiled in this part of the country here with. Uh, Kind sure. of, the no kind kidding. of deer we have, uh, we have to enjoy. And that's that's definitely a testament to that. So, with that, Cole, Brandon, thank you guys so much for uh, lending me some of your evening. And Cole, yeah. uh, I can't wait to see what you kill next year, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a funny joke, ain't it? That's yeah, it sure joke. is. Hey, if you ever need somebody to go shed hunting with you. <laughs> <laughs> i can always use the eyes sure. uh, right <laughs> hey yeah you just you got my number man i i'd i'd love to i'd love to pick your brain a little bit more and see how see how you look at the woods versus how i look at the woods that would be that'd be well, a lot of fun come on out man come on out you're not too far nope i'll be i'll be happy to do it and we're doing some talking here too we're trying to get brandon you know we had all these hunting plans brandon and i did we were going to try and do a little hunt fish life uh first gen hunter you know Mm -hmm. podcasts on the road we were going to go down to missouri and hunt well then that kind of fell apart we were going to go to ohio and try and do some public land there that fell apart and uh so now what we're, we're hoping to maybe make happen 
and uh, it's kind of a stretch. Maybe we can get Brandon out here to do a pheasant hunt. So I know you got a, a bird dog or two. I got a couple bird dogs. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can make something like that work out too. That'd be a lot of fun. So I'm up for that. Whatever yeah. you guys want to do. Yeah, for sure. I I would I'd love to do that. So oh yeah, I'm more of a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. So you just <laughs> hey, yep. just show up my house. And, and we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. Sounds good. All right. Well, you have a great night, man, and uh, can't wait to see that buck when it's up on your wall. And and uh, glad your family's doing well. And and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. All right. I'm having another boy too. By the way, that's oh, right. I meant crap. to bring that up. Yeah. Nice. Huge congratulations to the young family. They got this is uh, this is kid number four, right? Yeah. Yep. Three boys and and Baylor, who is probably tougher than all of them. <laughs> a rose amongst the thorns, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, you're going to have to, you know, now you're getting to like minivan status here. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to make sure you got one with four wheel drive to haul these bucks out of the woods. You know, just, just think once you got all your boys hunting now and, and you got your daughter out there hunting, you're going to be. You're, it's a good thing you're a taxidermist, man. You're saving yourself some serious money. <laughs> right, right. I'm looking at those uh, Mercedes vans or whatever. Yeah, there oh, you go. Like, like, uh, like a six-passenger or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I got the Pacifica right now, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not too proud to admit that. You know, we're running the minivan. Hey, yeah, yeah, you got to do what that. you got to do, man. got to do what you got to do. <laughs> see you can you can shoot 190 inch deer and still have a minivan see that's another <laughs> there you go that's right that's right dude you know how awesome of a t-shirt that would make have like a have like a minivan with a with a booner right on the luggage rack on the top of that thing <laughs> i mean i want to i want to know what that uh what that statistic is percentage of guys who own a minivan who shoot 195 inch deer. Oh man! I bet, I bet I'm in. I'm in. We're talking half a percent type. Oh deer. yeah, for sure. Oh, dude, you you might have set a world record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I just made it into a different niche. Sweet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Khaki shorts, minivan, and 195 inch bucks, baby. Yep, and Crocs. That's right. And Crocs, Crocs with yeah, socks. Right. Yep. <laughs> oh man well you fellas have a great night and uh thank you so much everyone for tuning in i hope you draw all kinds of inspiration from this interview um just everything i echo what what cole said there at the end you know hunting is there for us to take it and take advantage of it we don't have to have a bottomless pocketbook and uh you know you put in that time and take care of your family you heard cole talking about that too throughout the the interview you know he's he's very much in tune to his family it's easy to get consumed by this stuff especially when you got a buck mm-hmm. like that on your trail camera but uh take care take care of what you're supposed to take care of use the time when you got it and uh put the work in and uh you know take care of the things you can control and uh man hunt like you never have before and and good things will eventually shake loose for you so till next time everyone take care and take someone hunting